for listening to the Toronto Legends podcast, powered by the Henderson Brewing Company, a locally owned, award-winning neighborhood brewery that celebrates Toronto's stories and culture. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Matt Nickel. Matt is a veteran strength and conditioning coach who refers to himself as a strategic performance optimizer who will help you achieve your goals and your true potential. He has trained both professional and elite amateur athletes on both an individual and team basis and was a co-founder of the BioSteel Sports Hydration and Nutrition Company. Matt wants everyone to go further, move faster, be stronger. His motto is simple things done savagely well. I can tell you I already want to run through a wall. We have not even started the interview, so let's get right to it. Welcome, Matt, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? Oh, thanks for having me, Andrew. I'm good. I'm I'm in Toronto and uh, enjoying a, a beautiful day. Just watched a, a Croatia-Brazil uh, World Cup match, which was pretty exciting. And uh, now I'm talking to you, which is even more exciting. <laughs> well, thank you. It's good, good to be ranked that way. I would expect December is a busy time for you, like everyone, as we're heading into the holidays. But I also wonder if January will be even busier for you as everyone tries to accomplish their New Year's resolution to get fit and have fun. Yeah, I would say that you know maybe we're a little different than uh, than most gyms in that uh, the majority of our our clients are, are athletes or are people that have real specific goals. So, not to say that they aren't affected by uh, January resolutions like everybody else, but I think maybe a little different. We hope that they're motivated all year round, not just in January. Yeah, not just because you have an epiphany. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why don't you bring us up to speed? You got so many facets to you and your practice, which we're going to talk about. But why don't you bring us up to speed? What is Matt Nickel up to these days? Well, you know, the same as I've always done. I'm, I'm passionate about coaching. I'm passionate about helping other people achieve their their goals and their dreams. And that's the same as it's always been, the same as it always will be for me. And uh, one thing that is new is I've opened up a brand new facility here in Toronto. So we've, uh, you know, for, I've been coaching athletes for 25 years. And for, for a lot of those years, it was a very, very small niche clientele, whether I was working exclusively for one team or even in my private gym in Toronto, which was very small. And, you know, we weren't, we weren't, uh, it wasn't an attempt to be elitist, but we were just a very, very, very physically small gym and couldn't take very many people. So we've expanded now post COVID, which is, which is exciting to be able to be open at all, but also to be able to be offering our programs to larger larger groups of the population we've got teams and we've got we've got young kids and and a variety of different sports now which is which keeps things fun and exciting for me for sure excellent well i can't imagine an industry that was more affected than than yours and how keen you must have been to get back at it post pandemic so to speak yeah absolutely i mean that's certainly not no one no one's going to feel sorry for for gym owners specifically there's lots of people that were hit uh, harder or at least as hard, but, uh, yeah, it's just nice to be back in business and to see all those smiling faces in the gym and people getting after it and focusing on their health. That's great. Let's go all the way back. Get the Matt Nichols story. Where were you born and describe your upbringing? Yeah. Uh, Kitchener, Waterloo, Ontario. And I'd, I'd say my upbringing is probably pretty, you know, pretty common, pretty, pretty normal. Uh, my parents were, were school teachers and uh, we were involved in sports and, you know, I wouldn't say there's anything really out of the normal. We weren't, uh, we, we certainly weren't rich and we weren't poor. We weren't hard done by. We had a good life. And did you have siblings? Yes, I do. I've got one brother. And were you both into sports from early on or what were your kind of uh, childhood yeah, hobbies? Yeah, absolutely. My, my brother was a little, little different. He's a, an endurance athlete. You know, he was a, always a very successful distance runner, a track and field athlete. So different sports or different passions than, than I have. But, but, but he was always my inspiration. He was such a hardworking guy, just a, a very self 
driven person. He was the kind of, you know, as an elementary school student getting up in the morning before school to go on a, you know, on a 5k run without any prompting from a parent or a coach. So a very, very self-motivated guy. And for your schooling, Matt, you ended up where at McGill? That's correct. I did my undergraduate at McGill and my master's at York University. And how'd you like being in Montreal? Uh, I think it's the greatest city in North America, uh, at least to be a, a, you know, a young student, that's for sure. I'm not sure yeah. what it's like to, to be a, a, an older uh, working, working stiff like, uh, like I am now, but I think as a, young, <laughs> as a young university student, it's a pretty awesome place to be. So you get back to Toronto. Uh, one thing that uh, grabs many of our listeners' eyes and ears is your time with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Tell us how you transitioned from finishing school and then ending up as the Toronto Maple Leafs strength and conditioning coach. Yeah, I don't. I don't really have a great uh, story for. I mean, it's either it's either a it's either a great story or a terrible story. I'm not really sure which. And a lot of young coaches will kind of ask for my advice on how to get, you know, into the field or how to get a job with a pro team. And I don't really know that I have. Again, it, it may be amazing advice or terrible. I'm not sure. But for me, it was never. I didn't apply for the job. It was not something I had even thought of or considered. I was just, you know, always focused on being the best that I could be wherever I was. So if I was coaching. You know, if I was coaching uh, 12-year-old uh, ping-pong uh, players, then I was going to be the best 12-year-old ping-pong coach I could be. And and uh, anyway, so, but being in Toronto, and I actually originally started out training football players. Football was my sport, not hockey. I was passionate about football. I, I tried to be a professional football player. It didn't work out for me, but it did for a bunch of other guys that I knew. So I, I sort of kept coaching them, at least with regards to their strength and their speed and all that sort of stuff. And, but being in Toronto, as you can imagine, Andrew, you know, you know, over time, if you're any good at what you do, eventually you end up attracting hockey players because hockey is the, you know, even though it wasn't my uh, passion or it wasn't my first choice, it is it certainly rules the day in Canada or certainly in Toronto. So I ended up getting more and more hockey clients and I guess had some result and, and kind of caught the eye of some people with the Toronto Maple Leafs and, and was approached by them. And it sort of, it didn't sort of, it, it came completely out of the blue. So I, I don't know if that's a you know, maybe it's a terrible story. Maybe it's a great story just to put your head down and, and work hard and be great at whatever it is you're doing and, and you'll you'll achieve something, I guess. Well, it certainly proves the adage. It's hard work meeting opportunity and you yep. got to be ready for it. Yeah, you're right about that. So you took over in the summer of 2002. You were hired by the late Pat Quinn. The Toronto Maple Leafs had just come off an Eastern Conference finals run. What was the status of the strength and conditioning coach role for the Toronto Maple Leafs at the time you entered? Yeah, well, that was so. I had sort of started a little bit uh, previous to that date because even during that playoff run, they, there was a few players that were banged up and in need of rehab, and I was working privately uh, in Toronto doing doing rehabilitation primarily with athletes. And I think that was sort of the uh, the impetus or the motivation was that the the team was successful. They had a great team. They had a, certainly had a great coach. They had a great team, great talent. Uh, but they, you know, they had a lot of injuries, and you know, a lot of their players at that, you know, it was it was an older team. Um, at that time, you know, certainly talented, but an older team. And I guess they were just looking for some way that they could maybe help those older players uh, either gain a step or keep a step up on the younger players around the league. And then also if they could find a way to keep get some of those players healthy because there were a lot of injuries and if they could uh, keep them healthy beyond that. So that was sort of, I think, the the motivation. They didn't, they didn't need my help to be successful or, or to be good at hockey they were all they're already there for that but there wasn't I the, I guess probably the interesting note is that I wasn't replacing anyone which is kind of in crazy at least in my industry to think about that now but at that time in the NHL uh you know the Toronto Maple Leafs who were the preeminent you know team in the league didn't did not have a strength coach uh, they had had one previously but not the year before they had, so there there was someone there in some you know a limited capacity in previous years but they didn't have anyone to replace so it was 
it was really very very challenging for me because again not I'm certainly and I still don't claim to be a hockey expert I certainly was not a hockey expert 22 years ago um, but to come into that job feeling a little bit insecure and, and a little you know unconfident because I'm not a hockey expert and I've got this job with you know the the team in the NHL in the city in the NHL and not replacing anyone so I couldn't pick up a program that was existing and sort of carry it forward I really had to start from scratch so it was a again probably either a terrible or a great thing I think it turned for me it turned out to be great it was very very stressful at the time it was very hard at the time but I think it forced me to learn on the fly and to get better quick absolutely well Matt you talk about older players you know uh Gary Roberts when you got into that role and this playoff run we're talking about he had just led the team in postseason scoring at age 36 he is a fitness fanatic. He's been widely credited with helping to normalize the once kind of scoffed at notion that NHL teams ought to invest in health and wellness of their players. How important was Gary Roberts to your kind of getting everyone to buy into the programs you want to institute? Uh, instrumental. And I mean, even beyond that, he was instrumental in me getting the job. I, I, and I'm under no illusion. I would, I would never have gotten that job if I did not have his blessing going into it. So and he made it very clear to me day one, if you'll remember after that play run, he had he had double shoulder surgery. So he had two shoulder surgeries. So he was basically armless. And he made it very clear to me that my full-time job was rehabilitating him and my part-time <laughs> job was helping the other guys on the team. So that was, and if you know Gary at all, that was, you know, there was, the way that he said it, it was very clear to me that that's exactly what my job was. So <laughs> that's good. But he was, well, yeah, you were, you're right though. With, with him on the team, it was, it was the easiest it was the easiest job in the world. To be very honest with you, I'd love to say it was, you know, it was hard. It wasn't hard. It was a lot of work and a lot of hours and sometimes some stress. But you, with guys like Gary and the team, you just had to make sure that the, the door was unlocked and the lights were on and, and that was it. They took care of the energy, that's for sure. You need someone to lead by example. Absolutely, yeah. And we had a lot of those guys. I mean, Gary certainly was at the forefront with with his knowledge and his passion for training. But, you know, when you're captain, when your best player, Matt Sundin, is also the hardest working player, one of the one of the fittest people you could ever imagine you know guys like brian mccabe and when i hate when i do this because i'm always, so i'm going to get a call or a text from someone that says hey what the hell you forgot my name but we had so many you know we had you know tom fitzgerald who's the the general manager of new jersey at that who had been a captain of of nashville before he came to us was a third or a fourth line player for us we had joe newendike the following year we had so many so many leaders on that team it was really incredible well, one one name that's interesting, of course, is Matt Sundin, because he had come over from Sweden. I wondered, Matt, if you noticed any difference in kind of his approach to training and fitness and nutrition from his European upbringing to when he was now playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs here in uh, Canada. Yeah, absolutely. I did. And I, I had the great fortune of, uh, I would go over to Stockholm, Sweden in the summer to spend time with him and train with him. But He's a, you know, he's a really incredible and unique guy for a lot of reasons, but specifically when it comes to his training, he still would spend time training in the summers with his coach that he had when he was a minor hockey player all the way coming up. And, and the way that the system there works is that unlike, uh, unlike here in Toronto, where a lot of these top, top players are like, you know, guns for hire mercenaries going from one team to the next, from one city to the next year, year to year, but you would stay with your team, which, you know, was very likely in the, in the you know, city or town or, or subdivision that you grew up in throughout your entire minor hockey career. You would train together, you would play together, practice together. So uh, he did that and they, he, they were very lucky. They had a guy by the name of Leif Larson, who's a brilliant, brilliant guy. And, and up until very recently, he was in charge sort of overseeing all of the Swedish Olympic training. 
and uh, you know, really, really uh, an expert in a lot of things. He Leaf himself was an accomplished powerlifter, but really his expertise lay in, in aerobic conditioning and fitness. So, so that was something that I actually learned a lot uh, from Matt's. I could tell you that, and then that was probably the best part about my job. I think I came into it without any preconceived notions of exactly how everybody should train. I didn't have the Matt Nichols system of hockey training. And I learned from my athletes. You know, I learned we had players from Slovakia and Czech Republic, uh, Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, Sweden, Finland, uh, all over North America. And I was able to learn from each and every one of them and take things that I liked from their training. And and there was a, a lot of the stuff that Matt did and the Swedish players did that I really liked. Now, Matt, as the Toronto Maple Leafs strength and conditioning coach in 2003 in particular, you were so concerned about feeding the players pills, powders, tablets, capsules, every kind of potion you could imagine, that you came up with your own nutrition product. How much was this influenced by, I guess, the significant move that the NHL was bringing in a league-wide anti-doping program and they were introducing mandatory drug testing? Yeah, um, influenced very much so. I think that was the the problem is I, I was sort of, the players knew that I had a background in sports nutrition when I came into the job and they knew that I, I had some level of I don't know if it's expertise, but at least knowledge of, of, of nutritional supplements and things like that. So they, they were, you know, turning to me, asking me, what should I take for this? What should I take for that? What do I take before, during and after a game? Which was, as a new coach and a young coach, was really exciting. It made me feel important, made me feel valued, and, and that was great. But uh, I realized very quickly on that I had a real tremendous responsibility because you know, I'm responsible for their health and well-being, not just their performance, but they're just their general health as people. So I, I, I was I was always very careful to scrutinize anything that we were using. But I found out uh, very shortly after my time started in the NHL that they were going to be instituting drug testing, which now it's, you know, it's, yeah, it seems common nature. It seems second, of course, that there would be drug testing. But you have to remember this is, you know, 20 plus years ago. Uh, and I thought, okay, this, this is no problem. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to take this, this trunk. And when I say trunk, I mean, we had a, we had a box that was about five feet long and about three feet high and, and, and another maybe three or four feet wide, full of powders and pills and capsules and this and that. And I, and I went one by one, at least for, at least for the companies where I could actually read the writing, there was Cyrillic writing and Swedish writing and Slovakian and Czech but I called, I contacted all the companies that said, hey, this is who I am. I, I really thought this is just sort of a routine call and I just need some sort of documentation proving that these products are drug tested and safe and, and then we can keep using them. And uh, pretty quickly found out that none of the products were, you know, not to say that they were unsafe, but they couldn't prove that they were safe. And not only that, they couldn't, you know, really prove that, that any of the ingredients that were on the labels were actually in the ingredient, in, in the products. So I thought this is a, this is a major, major problem for me personally, because I'm going to bear some liability, but also the players don't really know what they're ingesting. And I thought that was a crazy situation. So it just sort of motivated me to, to kind of get, you know, get my act together and say, Hey, there's got to be a better way to do this. And, and I looked for a solution. Uh, there wasn't one at the time. So I created my own. Well, you basically invented a revolutionary new line of sports supplements. And in 2009, you commercialized these formulas and made them available to athletes worldwide as a founding partner at BioSteel Sports Nutrition. Now, Matt, your background, as you say, was fitness and sports and training and coaching. What was your business background? And I guess you had to learn on the fly. Yeah, I sure did. I mean, I, I mean, I guess I've been running a business since... Uh... 2000 or excuse, excuse me since 1998 uh, but you know a, a small business that for many years employed on, only myself so it sounds cool to say you, you own a business but you really just buy yourself a job uh, 
Yeah. Uh, and then having employees and and uh, direct reports when I had my team job and then starting my own business, but but absolutely had to learn on the fly. There's and there was no books that could have prepared me for that. Well, during your tenure with the company, you helped BioSteel grow from a nutritional sports supplement startup with a shoestring budget to a multi-million dollar manufacturing business with international distribution. 2019, BioSteel was majority purchased by Canopy Growth Corp. You took this opportunity to exit to focus on your core interest improving high performance where'd you go next yeah well i mean i, I really didn't go anywhere i went i've been doing the same thing that I, that I always do i mean i really uh whether it was working with the toronto maple leafs or working with uh you know the san francisco 49ers or the hamilton tiger cats or the hamilton bulldogs or working with individual athletes or working with everyday joes i've got i've got you know one client that i saw in the gym this week who's been a client for 24 years now and uh it really doesn't matter to me and i think that's the that's sort of a, a misnomer the thing that i like about working with elite athletes is that it matters there's a, there's an end goal there's an accountability factor on my part uh, i i have to achieve a certain result it puts a little pressure on me i like that uh but really it's not it's not so much about the athlete or the sport or the notoriety that comes with that it's 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 helping people to you know, achieve their dreams and sometimes helping people to see potential within themselves uh, that they don't see themselves. And, and, and I guess much uh, like that, that story of the biosteel is to find uh, problems that are, that someone like I was struggling with a problem, couldn't find a solution, came up with a creative solution to that problem. I I like to do that sort of creative problem solving that makes it fun for me. Matt, something you're very well known for is your off-season hockey camp. You are an industry leader in terms of hosting Canada's premier summer off-season hockey camp for top hockey players. Every year, you get the best NHL and amateur players have to be accepted into your program. Tell us about this off-season hockey camp. Yeah, I think really where that sort of originated was that when I was working in the NHL, I loved my time there. It was a great experience, but I never felt completely fulfilled because I always felt that there were different aspects of, of, of what goes into preparing a team that uh, were outside of my scope of practice at the time that I, that I felt I, that could have been, not to say they could have been done, I mean, I'd, I'd like to think I could do them better, but certainly they could be, could be done differently. Uh, and, 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 but they were outside of my scope or outside of my, you know, zone of control. And, and I, I felt like, you know, geez, wouldn't it be great to be a general manager and be able to do all those things? But who, who the heck would ever want to hire me to be a general manager? They'd be crazy to do that. Certainly, certainly at that time. So I thought, okay, well, if I run my own business, I, I don't want to pretend that I know how to be uh, an NHL hockey coach. I, I certainly couldn't be, uh, but I'd like to be able to work with them and give them some influence in terms of which uh, which days to do certain things and which days not to do certain things. I don't think I'm a doctor, nor, nor could I be, but I'd like to have some, you know, ability to communicate with the doctors and, and give them some input on what I think maybe we could try to do. And, and, and that would go all the way down the line. So I think it was just an opportunity for me with that summer camp to say, I'm going to assemble a great team around me. I'm, 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 I still love to be in the gym. I get my hands dirty. I was in the gym this morning. I love to coach. I'll, I'll always do that. But there's so much more that goes into preparing an athlete than just lifting barbells and dumbbells or running sprints. There's so in, in our summer business, in our summer camp, we have a staff of 35 people. We've got medical doctors and chiropractors and physiotherapists and massage therapists and athletic therapists and osteopaths and strength coaches and LDOA instructors and Pilates instructors and skating instructors and shooting and stick handling and coaching and equipment managers and yada, 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 all, all, all down the line. So 
I think that that was the fun part to me to see if I could sort of uh, assemble my dream team and put them all together and just make sure they have the resources they need to do their jobs and and see if we can't uh, produce some good results. And Matt, you alluded to this before you started. You had a physical constraint. You used to be in a converted storage room at the back of Toronto's St. Michael's College School Arena. This was less than sounds like about a thousand square feet. Today, what is your facility like? Yeah, it's 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 quite a bit different. We're we're in, <laughs> yeah. we're in approximately eleven thousand square feet now, which provides us with with many more opportunities um, than we would have in the old spot. Now, I, I don't I don't want to. I certainly would never speak ill of my old little storage closet. It was amazing, and and much like that, you know, when I was thrown into the fire working for the Leafs, it forced me to be a better coach because I didn't have access to unlimited space. I didn't have all the latest and greatest equipment, so I really had to be a creative problem solver and think of ways to get the job done. Now that you have all this space, can you accept everyone who wants to be part of your program, or do you actually have to reject NHL players that would like to be part of your off-season training program? Yeah, well, I mean, we do, but I, do, I want to be clear that I really don't want – it sounds very elitist when I say that, and it's not. I think what it is is that I sort of know uh, – you know, I kind of have my philosophy of doing things for right or for wrong, who's to say what's best or not. I just – I think I, I think it's the right way to do it. That's why I do it, but maybe I'm wrong, but – we have our philosophy and we have a really a pretty cool culture in our gym where we've got, you know, we've got NBA world champions and Olympic gold medalists and Stanley Cup champions. And they're working alongside 13 and 14 year old, you know, double A hockey players and stay at home moms and, you know, and everything in between. And everybody gets along and we, you know, we, we try to limit the number of, uh, of of issues we have. We don't like a lot of drama. We don't like anyone being, uh, you know, not playing nice in the sandbox. So we have a pretty cool culture. So it's it's really more about making sure that, A, our, we can meet the needs of the athletes. So if it's someone that has needs, you know, if you, you know, wanted to win the Boston Marathon next year, I'm probably not the best guy for that job. I probably could help in some way, but it's my responsibility to get you to the right people for that, you know? So I think making sure that we can meet the needs of the athlete, number one. And then number two, once we do that, making sure that that athlete understands how we approach things. For right or for wrong, it's the way that we do it. And that they fit with the culture of the gym. That's really what it's all about. But once those three boxes are ticked off, yeah, we could accept just about anybody. And we have a wide variety of athletes and sports now. It's really cool. Ho, ho, ho. The holidays are here at Henderson Brewing Company. Sign up for a subscription of Unique Beers, where each month you will get our current small batch beer release, plus three other tap room only beers mailed anywhere in Canada. Available in four, six, or 12-month subscriptions, these packs make a great gift for any beer lover, including, hint, hint, yourself. Order now at hendersonbrewing.com or visit their tap room and retail store at 128A Sterling Road along the West Toronto Rail Path. Henderson Brewing and the Toronto Legends Podcast, a great local partnership. Well, you certainly do have a wide variety, and to the extent that you're comfortable talking, sharing some training stories, perhaps, I want to ask you about Andre DeGrasse. Yeah, what a wonderful guy. I mean, he's, that's, that's probably one of the coolest, like, just really emphasizing what I, what I just finished saying. Andre is a guy that, you know, you know, arguably the fastest man on the planet, walks into the gym with no airs about him, no arrogance, uh, you know, introduces himself to everybody, assumes that nobody knows who he is. He's, he's excited to meet, you know, all the other athletes that are in the gym, humble, humble guy, super sweet guy. And, and the cool thing is that, well, he's just going about his business. I know that all the athletes are looking at him and they're thinking, well, okay, I want to watch what he does. I want to watch how he warms up. Okay. They're doing sprint on days that we do sprint drills. 
okay, well, I'm watching him. Why the hell am I going to watch, you know, this old <laughs> Matt, this old beat up old, you know, guy, this washed up meathead Matt Nickel doing his sprinters. I'm going to, I'm just going to watch Andre warm up. Like, why would, yeah. I, why the hell would I watch Matt? So really, really cool to have that opportunity. Uh, we met, now he has other, I mean, I'm not his primary coach. He obviously, uh, I mean, I was, if you're the fastest guy in the world, you should not be tra- doing your track workouts with me. That's for sure. <laughs> But uh, met him uh, when he was rehabilitating his hamstring. Uh, so that was a very cool experience to be able to rehabilitate him from that injury. And then we've just stayed in touch and stayed friends and, and worked together since then. Uh, and just an absolute pleasure to have that guy around the gym, that's for sure. And current Leaf, Wayne Simmons, who is kind of at the tail end of his career, he's getting older. I'm sure his whole training regimen had to be adjusted as he got older. Uh, what are your experience working with Wayne? Yeah, you're right about that. I mean, it really, uh, you know, part of, part of it is age, certainly. And he's played, you know, I don't even know what the number is now, 1,050 or something games, whatever it is, well over 1,000. Uh, and, and came off of a major major hip surgery a few years ago, so that which obviously had, you know, complications and implications that, that have lingered. But uh, I think with Wayne, he's, again, much, you're going to see a theme. Anytime you ask me about any of these athletes, I would say a lot of the same things. Super humble person. Very down to earth guy, tough. They, I mean, you know, the the tough guy that you see in games. That's that's certainly there, uh, but he's always got time to to chat with one of our younger athletes to give them some advice. Very approachable, very personable guy. And I think with any of our older athletes, not not just Wayne, but any athlete as they as they get to the you know the twilight years of their career, they have to they have to change their 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 ways a little bit. So it doesn't mean that you have to do you can still train as hard and as heavy and and you can do all those sorts of things and sprint training and plyometrics and what have you. But you can't. It's the recovery that 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 takes that takes a hit as you get older. So you have to be more mindful of that. You have to be more mindful of sleep. You have to be more mindful of nutrition. You have to take care of your body. Wayne is a guy that early in his career, you know, that true warrior mentality. He had no problem ever doing the work, but maybe, you know, wouldn't get on the table to get a treatment because, you know, because he would just grind through. That's that's how he came up in life. He made it to where he is by being tough, sucking it up. He had also, I mean, he could, I mean, that's a guy you should be doing an interview with. But the, the stories that he could tell, the adversity that he's overcome, you don't get to where he is in life without being a tough guy who's sucked it up. But you can't do that as you get older. You got to give yourself a little TLC. You got to take care of yourself. You got to get treatment. You got to take care of your body. Add another guy you've worked with is a hometown boy in the sense of Toronto Legends podcast is produced out of Richmond Hill. Stanley Cup champion goaltender Jordan Bennington is a bit of a legend in your dream, I understand. Yeah, he's he, it's it's a pretty cool story in his in his case because I think that he was a guy that I didn't I didn't know him early in his career, but I think I, I from what I understand there was probably you know he was you know very highly touted, and then there was a period of time where. That didn't look like it was going to come to fruition, and I, I, that was sort of I, I began working with him. I, I guess it would be about five or six years ago now, and th- the year leading up to his Stanley Cup run. Now, we, and we had there were there were ups and downs and bumps, and there's there's like there are with any of my young athlete clients when they realize that uh, you know there there are certain things you have you have some some wiggle room when you're a superstar and you've established yourself and you've got your long-term deal. But when you're a young guy trying to break into the league, uh, Nick, Nick Saban has a great speech about this where he calls it the illusion of choice, where he said that, you know, we, as a society, we, we, or at least in North America, we seem to tell young people that, you know, they can do anything they want to do. They, they, it's all up to them. You can choose everything you want to do. And Nick Saban 
if you like him or don't, I, 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 it's fine. But I like this speech where he said, it's kind of not accurate because if you really truly want to be great, there aren't that many choices. There are some things that you just have to do and it is what it is and you just have to do it. And I think that Jordan, uh, you know, that year leading up to that Stanley Cup run, I think he sort of came around to, you know, surrendering to the process. And he was a guy that was always, you know, would always show up and do his workout, but it was a difference of getting to bed on time, getting up early, arriving, not, not arriving on time for a workout, but arriving early enough to do, he was doing video training all summer with uh, Andy Kyoto, who was the goalie coach who did an amazing job with him, who's now the goalie coach for the Pittsburgh Penguins, coming in at six in the morning to watch video for an hour before an on-ice session to work out there for an hour before his workout, dialing in his nutrition, uh, all those sorts of little things that, you know, that again, surrendering to the process where when he did that, I think with that, with that chip on his shoulder, and he would, I'm sure he would tell you the same, that a lot of people had sort of counted him out and said, oh, I guess this guy, you know, maybe he wasn't as good as we thought he was going to be. And maybe he's just a minor league guy. He believed that he could do it. He always believed he could. And he kind of adopted that mentality. And, and it was really cool to watch that run. One name that also has a testimonial to you is a guy that's too old. He couldn't have been trained by you. Ken Dryden. What was your connection <laughs> with Ken Dryden? Yeah, Ken. Um, wow, that, that's one of the coolest. That's one of the coolest ones for sure. So Ken was the president of the Toronto Maple Leafs when I got hired. And we developed a good friendship there. And really, what what it, our friendship developed around um, my quote of the day. So I, I love cheesy motivational quotes, and I you know guys will chirp me all the time. And even now, still, I'm on Instagram and I post things, and people make fun of me, and I really don't care. It's not. It's not. And just so anyone's clear, this is not. This is not a social media thing. This is not a new thing. This is something I've done my entire life. Something my mother was big on. She would leave us little post-it notes with little motivational things. And every every day, I would have a little quote on my whiteboard in the gym at the Air Canada Center. And on game days, I would take that whiteboard and put it. We had a big uh, portable whiteboard. I would put it right in front of the door where the players entered, so that they couldn't avoid it. They had to read my quote and. You know, some guys would wipe my, they would erase my quote or they would change the words or they would draw something on the board. And you can, I'll let your imagination run wild with that. But very early on, Ken came into my office one day and said, ask me, you know, and only way Ken just could do is now who writes the quotes on the board? And I, and I, I thought, oh shit, am I, maybe I'm in trouble. I'm not. And, and I said, well, I do Ken. He said, well, why did you choose that quote tonight? And I don't remember what the quote was, just again, some cheesy, you know, run of the mill motivational quote, I'm sure it was. But, and I said, I don't know, I just, I had, you know, I've got all these books of quotes. I thought I liked that one. He said, but why that one tonight? And we had a 30 minute discussion about the importance of the game tonight. It was a regular season game. And it, I don't even remember why it was so important, but it was an important game for whatever reason. And Ken said, but why would that quote? And we went for 30 minutes back and forth about it. And we would have a little coffee meetings and our, about the quote of the day on game days Every game day, it was sort of our little routine. So, um, and this is, I mean, Ken had no need to talk to me for any, he could have gone through his whole time. there, never spoken a word to me ever, but he was always went out of his way to be kind and generous with his time. But when I left the Toronto Maple Leafs, Ken became a client at the gym just to train and stay healthy uh. and stay strong. So yeah, he's, he's still comes in and he'll actually spend time. He'll come and watch our goaltenders practice from time to time and offer some, some wisdom. And he's, he's a really incredible guy. And I'm actually... Looking at his new book, uh, the series is sitting on my desk right in front of me right now. He's just uh, it was gift, an early uh, Christmas gift to me uh, sitting here that I've yet to read. So what, a, what an incredible guy. I'm, I'm really, really blessed to be able to have him in my life for sure. 
well, people forget, you know, uh, he's such an intellectual and he is known as kind of a leading thinker. He was an incredible goalie. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that, that was, the, I mean, he, he was kind of finishing uh, his, his career uh, as I was coming into the world. So I can't say I was a, a fan while he was playing, but I grew up, uh, my family were, you know, if they, if they were fans of any sport at all, which is, you know, debatable, it was the Montreal Canadiens. Sure. So I, my, my, my grandfather would tell me about Ken Dryden, how great he was. And when I was playing road hockey, I was Ken Dryden. And so to be able to have, even just to have my 30 minute quote uh, debate every day with Ken was cool. But now to have him as a client is really, really cool. I'm, I'm re- very, very fortunate. And Matt, you talk about the variety of your clients being from different sports. Another that caught my eye was two-time NBA champion, Joel Anthony. Yeah, another another incredible guy. Great Montrealer too. And I, 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 it's, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but low-key, humble, super nice person. Uh, you know, no other than the fact that he has to bend down to get in the door and and takes mm-hmm. up a lot of space when he's doing things, you wouldn't know. You know, he he doesn't he doesn't ask for any any special treatment, wouldn't accept any special treatment. Um, and, and there's a reason why this guy was always around these successful teams, and there's a reason why a guy like LeBron James loved having Joel on his team and wanted to practice and train with Joel because he's such a hardworking guy. Uh, you know, brings it every day, blue collar person, uh, real, real, real great, successful Canadian story. And he's a guy that, be, you know, it's unfortunate that he's so quiet and humble because it's a story that more people need to know about. Matt, as you know, fitness trends come and go. Are there any favorites from the past that today make you laugh when you look back at them? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've I, I've done everything. Uh, I've, I think I've done everything under the sun to, to as an athlete trying to get better and you you hit the nail on the head. They are they are trends, and just like fashion, I see you know young trainers now enamored with training techniques or exercises or pieces of equipment. Then I I, I want to part of me wants to scream or cry and say no, <laughs> we did that. Trust me, I, I'm not I'm not saying no because I don't understand what you're doing. I'm saying no because I did that 25 years ago, and I'm trying to save you the pain and embarrassment that I went through. But sometimes you have to learn the hard way. But I, I can't think of any anything specific. In fact, I, I think to me, it's funny to me now that I see a lot of uh, you know breaking uh, research that comes out supporting things that guys were teaching me in the gym 25, 30 years ago when I first started going that was just sort of common sense or they just sort of knew intuitively things that worked or didn't. And I remember there's a, you know, the first couple of years that I, I was in Toronto, I worked uh, alongside Charlie Francis at the track and field center, the Toronto track and field center up at York University. And he said something, he said a lot of things that stuck with me, but this one in particular stuck with me that applies here. He said, the role of the sports scientist is to find out why what I'm doing is working, not the other way around. So he was saying, you know, the practitioners, they know what works, but we don't have the the time in his case, or in the case of many people like me, the, you know, the smarts maybe to figure out why necessarily it's working on a, on a micro level, on a cellular level, or, but, but, but we know what's working we, because we're doing it and it's working. So they, it's their job and not the other way around. It's not the job of those people to tell us what to do. It's to find out why those things are working. And I think that, you know, uh, fitness or strength and conditioning is no different than anything else. I mean, there are things that probably I would imagine your mother or your grandmother told you to do, and there's no way that there was a piece of published literature that proved that that was right. But now you're finding out as an adult, you're like, Oh geez, you know what? That actually, that actually did make sense. It wasn't just some crazy thing. My mom or my grandma or my dad or my grandpa told me to do. There's actually research now that shows it does something. So sometimes I think with training, 
we're now starting to realize that a lot of those basics, you know, like you said in the intro, the simple things that are done savagely well, that, that really is the way to go, not being enamored with the trends. Matt, what is the status today of the hockey coach who sticks with the bag skate? This is the coach who, in their world, no session is complete without a huge <laughs> garbage bin, easily accessible. I had coaches like this. I did not like bag skates. Oh. What is the status of that uh, practice today? Yeah, it's you know what it's 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 hard. I have uh, I have a lot of friends that are coaches that like from all the way from the NHL down to the minor hockey level. Uh, I understand there's an art and a science to coaching, and I understand the art, uh, or at least I understand the emotional need, or sometimes it's just a case of a coach venting and <laughs> they can't, you, you know, you can't physically strike your players, but you can physically strike them with a whistle and a stopwatch pretty good, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the science behind that, not not great, you know, not, not, not awesome. I mean, that, the one thing like you seem like if you if you really want to get scientific and you watch and I I I want I've actually done this uh, but you know coaches don't want to hear it but you you actually measure it and say well you know what they're they're all skating significantly slower than they're capable of skating so we're kind of just practicing skating slowly you know and and they're yeah they're they're you've punished them okay so maybe that's good but there's a, there's a cost to that you know there's a cost to that where you've now really tapped into the recovery resources and. So I don't I don't want to you know be accused of being a, a big softy because I still believe that there's value in hard work and I think every once in a while even you know in the summer we crack down but it's never punishment I think for us I think we we make the athletes know that okay it's coming you know what's coming it's you know it's it's August you knew you you know the time is kind of like you know if you live in Canada you know it's going to snow you're gonna, you're going to have to shovel your driveway sooner you know it's coming you know it's coming and then when that day comes you don't like it but you just got to go do it so. We do some hard conditioning, but I, I really, really try not to, and I really encourage coaches as much as much as possible not to use that strictly as as punishment. I don't think it should be punishment. If they need, if the team lost because they didn't skate, you know, down and back fast enough. If that's something like in the game, if like if Andrew had to go from the goal line to the blue line, back to the goal line, back to center, back to the goal line, and he didn't do that fast enough, then yes, you need to make Andrew do that until he gets better at that. But my guess is that probably didn't happen in the game. You're just mad and you're trying to find a way to hurt Andrew. Andrew hurt you by losing and you want to hurt Andrew and make him puke. So let's I, try to do less of that, I think. I definitely hurt my old coaches and uh, they. I can see how, now why they tried to get back at me. Matt, I want to ask you about celebrity-endorsed uh, fitness and training. I personally, I do pray to the altar of TB12, the greatest Tom Brady with his rollers and his stretching bands and his sleep and his hydration directives. Where do you stand on uh, these kind of celebrity endorsed uh, methodologies? Yeah, I think, you know what, in the case of, in the case of TB12, there's a lot of those things that are, are good and they're good to do. And whether, whether they have anything to do with why Tom Brady is so great is debatable, but you know what, if he's telling kids out there that they need to sleep more and eat healthier and take care of the body, that's great. And, and, you know, whether it's because of the foam rolling or not, or the rubber bands or not, who, who knows who's to say, uh, I think that you have to, you do have to be very careful for the lay, the lay person include, I include myself in that group, even though I hang around with cool people, I'm not a cool person. I'm a regular, I'm a, I'm a regular Joe, like everybody else. I just hang around with some really cool people. There's, you know, correlation and causation, you know, those are two different things. So playing basketball in the NBA does not make you tall. Right, so if you want to grow really tall, playing basketball is not proven to make you tall. Right, it, it tends to, you know, a lot of tall people tend to gravitate to the sport. 
Sometimes we look at these athletes that look a certain way or celebrities that look a certain way uh, and they tell you about this fitness program that they claim to do or the product they claim to take. I would really take that with a grain of salt, you know, and, and, and you know, I think if there's athletes or celebrities that are telling your kids to sleep more, then great. Or to drink water, that's great. Or to eat healthier, that's great. But I think we have to be a little careful because sometimes the, you know, and, and sometimes sometimes it does come from a, 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 a place that's maybe not a great place where it's, you know, a promotion, strictly a promotion of a system of training or a product. Sometimes the athletes genuinely believe that's why they're great. And maybe, maybe, maybe they don't even know why they're great. Maybe they're so good. They don't know why they're good. You know, and I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if, I don't know if Michael Jordan could, could tell me how to be good at basketball. I'm not sure. Maybe he could, maybe he, maybe he couldn't. I really don't know. And we've seen lots of successful players become very unsuccessful coaches because they can't understand why Matt Nickel or Andrew Applebaum can't figure it out. Like just score, just put the goal, like put the puck in the net. What the hell is wrong with you? Just dunk the ball. I don't understand what's wrong with you. So be, be a little careful with the celebrity endorsements. Well, back to my old coach. He couldn't figure out why I couldn't put the biscuit in the basket. Yeah, but, uh, exactly. I don't think anyone's going to figure that out. <laughs> Matt, very closely related today with fitness and physical training is mental health. What's what's kind of your viewpoint on the role of mental health training? Yeah, I think it's it's always been important. It's always been uh, something that athletes uh, could have and should have um, taken advantage of. I think it's it's come to to light or at least to the forefront uh, more recently, which I think is great. I think it's interesting. It's it's such a it's such a complicated topic. I mean, if you if you ask someone what's the best way to improve your vertical jump, you might have a handful of, of different opinions, but you're not going to have dozens of opinions or, or certain or hundreds of opinions. You know, you, if, if, when, when you're asking athletes to improve some of those basic qualities of, you know, strength in the weight room or speed on a track, there, there's less, there's less wiggle room. There's only certain back to, you know, back to that, that comment about there's the, the illusion of choice. But when it comes to mental health, I think that, uh, there are so many facets, uh, to each individual person and to each individual condition that they have. And I think there's a lot of sports psychologists that are that uh, are great and ones that are not so great. And it's something that I know even for myself in my practice, if you ask me for a great chiropractor, okay, no problem. I, here you go, here's the name, you know? And if you don't like that one, you know, I, I could come up with a few other names, but I guarantee you, you know, 80, 90% of the people are gonna be super satisfied with my first name. And if not, then by the second name, we're, we're done, right? When it comes to sports psychology, I've got athletes that swear by practitioner A. I've sent other people to that person. Terrible result. I sent them to practitioner B. Amazing result. I send the next person there. They don't like it. You know, so I think there's a huge individual component to that. But I think the fact that we're even having these conversations and we're acknowledging it and athletes are no, I mean, are no longer scared or ashamed to talk about it. You know, I've, I've can say there's a gentleman by the name of Paul Dennis, who is a mentor to me. He was our, our sports psychologist with the Toronto Maple Leafs and with the Toronto Raptors. And back then, you know, you know, even like I said, 20, you know, 20 years ago, I would have athletes that would want to speak to Paul or would want me to help them with, you know, something they'd been struggling with, but it was a, a conversation that we had in the parking garage or in the laundry room or, in the gym when everybody else had left in my office, you know, after practice and everyone was gone or around the corner because there was that taboo about talking about stuff like that. So I don't know that we have a, 
a, a system in place like we do with strength training or speed training. We're not there yet, but the fact that we're talking about it and, and athletes are not af- afraid to ask for a referral to someone or even just to ask to talk about things is great. Things are certainly changing. Yes. Matt, I want to ask you about, it's certainly not trivial. It's kind of a bit of trivia, though. A quirk of your life is that you came very close to accepting a job offer from a KHL club. This was Lokomotiv Yaroslav. And this was right before their tragic plane crash. This was over 10 years ago. 44 people passed away in an accident when they were heading to their season opener in Minsk. What uh, must have gone through your head and how close were you to accepting that job? Because it sounds like there was something you were seriously considering. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't talk about it too much uh, because it's something that, uh, you know, it's, it obviously brings up a lot of emotion. And I think that every, every time I feel uh, fortunate, you know, uh, or, you know, there, you know, there but for the grace of God, right, there's, there's someone else that, that did take that job. And was not so fortunate. So um, yeah, I, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about that often. But it is something that I, I, I'm very uh, I'm, I'm lucky and I'm blessed, and I and I feel uh, you know I, I do feel a little bit emotional when I when I think about the the people that were on that plane and the lives that were lost, and and for whatever reason it, it wasn't me, and I'm not sure what that reason is, but so be it. As we uh, close up here, Matt, and I appreciate all your time. I do want to close with you must have some good Pat Quinn stories you might be able to share. Oh man, there's 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 so many. Jeez, I don't know. He's uh, was an incredible person, and I think that the the one thing I, that I, I really feel bad is that I I you know I I don't think I appreciated him as much as I could have or should have you know because I had never worked you know it was my first real job. He was my first real boss, my first real NHL coach. So that was sort of the bar for me was set extremely high for everybody else. After that, I didn't realize you know, how great of a, of a guy he was. I thought he was a great guy. If you asked me at the time, I'd say, yeah, he's a great guy. He's a great coach, but I don't really think I understood the magnitude of that. You know, there was, there, I mean, it would be, we could have, do a whole podcast just about Paquin, <laughs> but he was just such a, you know, the one thing about him is, you know, I can remember on multiple occasions walking into his office, you know, after uh, on a game. So on a game night, when the game was over, you know, the players at that time, it was our philosophy at the time we would come in, we would train. So when the game is over and everyone's leaving and going home or you're at home and you, you know, you're in your pajamas, you turn off the TV set, they would be coming into the weight room. We'd start our workout. We'd be training late at night in the, in the gym, which is suboptimal for a lot of reasons, but it would just for our scheduling, it worked out. It made sense at the time. Uh, and then after the workout was over, obviously I would have to, you know, clean up the weight room and then there were some players we'd have to do rehabilitation with. And then, you know, but Pat would still be lingering around sometimes. And I'd go back into his office and find like one of the custodians with their feet up on Pat's desk, telling him how he should run the power play while he's <laughs> having a, having a probably a stogie and a scotch back there and listening to it with a big smile on his face. And he always had time for everybody. And I think if I, I think of the one, it was my first year uh, working for Toronto and my mother and father and my aunt and uncle came down to a hockey game and I was super nervous. I told him, listen, you're, you're coming to this game. That's great. I can't see you. I'm working. This is not a social event for me. I'm glad you're coming, but I'll see you tom- tonight or maybe after the game or I'll see you tomorrow for breakfast. There's no tour. There's no There's no coming into the room. There's none of that. I, I was very, very, you know, I had a lot of respect for the room and the, and, and the, and, and, you know, the, the, the culture of the place and I didn't want to take advantage. And, and they said, okay, well, you know, we'll, we'll come down after the game and we'll wait out by the weight room area and we'll just wait. We have nowhere else to, we have nothing else to do and we'll wait. And if you finish early, great. And if you don't, then we'll just go back to the hotel and we'll see you tomorrow. So 
on that night, uh, I remember Pat was leaving early and I guess he walked out of the room and, you know, it was still quite a bit after the game. So there wasn't very many people around and my mother and father and my uncle Jack and my aunt Pat, uh, my aunt Patty were standing outside the weight room and I guess Pat was waiting for the elevator. So he just struck up a conversation with them like, like he did with anyone, not, you know, not knowing who they were or just, there's not no reason that he had to do that. He's the coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs. He could ignore them. Right. He's a celebrity. And he said, well, you know, I don't know how it got around to it. And the one they, they said, well, we're waiting. Our, 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 our nephew, Matt, is working in the gym. He said, oh, Matt, Matt Nichols, your nephew. And he said, well, and she said, yeah, I'm his aunt Patty. He goes, your aunt Patty? Well, I'm Uncle Pat. <laughs> and he, he said, come with me. And he opened up the weight room door and, and, he, and he, yelled, he yelled at me across the room and said, what the hell do you think you're doing? Your mother and father, your aunt and uncle waiting out here for you. You're sitting here in this gym because you get out here and you you talk to them. And he goes, get, get, he brought them in, gave them a tour, showed, you know, we took them around the room. It was, you know, he didn't, he need, didn't need to do any of that. And uh, again, didn't, not only was it him looking out for a lowly employee like me, he had no idea who these people were. They were just random, you know, four, you know, older people standing around waiting for an elevator. And that was just the kind of guy he was. Well, you know what's even more incredible about that? When you think of Pat Quinn, old school, scotch, as you say, cigars, he seems like the last guy that would kind of get behind the concepts of fitness and nutrition. And yet, uh, as you say, he was your first boss, and it sounds like he supported all your initiatives. Well, I mean, Pat was a, a, a trailblazer and a groundbreaker in many ways. And funny, we just talked about you know the importance of mental health. Pat was the first NHL coach to hire a sports psychologist. Who, and, and on top of that, uh, a female sports psychologist, when, you know, females working for a team were, were few and far between. If, if any, she may have been the first. I don't even know. You could look that up. But he was the first NHL coach to hire a strength and conditioning coach. So not like, I mean, the, there, there's this image of him being this old school guy, the big old Irishman, stubborn. He was actually very, very innovative. And he was the biggest advocate and and I don't think there was ever anything I came back to him with that the answer was no if I could defend it and explain why I thought it would help the players he was all for it and uh, he was very innovative that way he was very low-key about it he didn't get up on a milk crate and shout it out to the world but he was very very innovative and he was always as much as he liked older players and veteran players and tough players he also wanted his players to be more than he was, you know, and he was a guy, I mean, as a player himself, he was doing power skating and figure skating when no one was doing that. So he was, he's always been that guy. And I think the label or the image of him being, uh, you know, old and set in his ways and not open-minded is, is very, very far from the truth. Matt, what are you working on for 2023? Just trying to get our, our, our gym up and up and going now. Like this is our, we've had our first full year post COVID where we're kind of just back and living, living normal life and working out and looking at each other's smiling faces without masks on and, and doing all that stuff. So we're, yeah, just, uh, we, we're, we're really excited about growing our, our, our youth programs. We've got a, a, a female college soccer stream, a female college hockey stream and a, a pro uh, female hockey stream. We've got a, a you know, typically to take a, a 15 or a 16 year old hockey player. That was a young player in our program. That was a kid for us. We've got, you know, we've got midget age players. Now we've got players, as, athletes as young as 13 and lacrosse players and all sorts of different athletes that we, that we haven't had in the past. And that's really, really exciting to be able to see how these principles play out across all these other sports, not just, not just hockey and football and the traditional ones. And Matt, where can we best follow you? And maybe you want to give a shout out to the address of your facility. Yeah, we're. I mean, you can you can find me. I'm 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 trying to struggle through on social media. I'm an, I'm an, I'm an old uh, 
not technologically savvy guy, but uh, you can find me on Matt underscore Nickel on Instagram or M underscore Nickel at on Twitter. And uh, yeah, our gym is up at Downsview Park in Toronto, right beside the beautiful Scotia Pond Arena, and uh, that's kind of where we make our home. And I'm happy to uh, anyone that wants to reach out on those social channels. If uh, I'm happy to, to answer any brief specific questions, or uh, you know, maybe we, we if you get enough of those questions together, we'll do another one of these. Excellent. That's a great idea. Well, Matt, I greatly appreciate your time and uh, I wish you continued success. Thank you. Enjoy chatting. Thank you. All right. Bye, Andrew. And to the listeners, we say thank you for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends podcast powered by Henderson Brewing Company. And on behalf of Matt Nickel, I am Andrew Applebaum saying mahalo. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback.